This is Live Well Talk on shoulder, hip, knee, arthritis, and treatment. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Today's guest is Dr. Jeffrey Nassif, orthopedic surgeon with Physicians Clinic of Iowa. He's here to tell us about shoulder, hip, and knee arthritis, treatment options, both surgical and non-operative. Welcome. Thank you for having me today. To begin with, let's start with, if I'm a patient, I'm considering being evaluated for having ongoing pain in my shoulder, my hips, or my knees. What would be the trigger for me to go see my doctor? Usually I tell people when they start having pain in their joints to take some sort of over-the-counter medication if their pain affects their daily activities. And the safest medicine to start out with is Tylenol. And that's usually what the, we tell them to start out with. It's a simple pain medication. The downside, it doesn't have any anti-inflammatory effect. So if Tylenol isn't adequate, well, and they're able to, and their medical doctor allows them to take uh, ibuprofen or, or leave, we have them try, take that. And if they're able to function and, you know, with those medications, then we tell them to keep going. If it gets to the point they can't function and do the things they want to do or the pain wakes them up at nighttime despite taking those medications, that's when I think they should be evaluated for their pain. Is there an age where it's too early to be evaluated? No, I don't think so. There's a lot of different activity modifications and exercise programs and diet that can help relieve uh, patients' pain from their uh, arthritic joint. And there's really not a time that's too early to be evaluated for that. When you see someone in the clinic and you're evaluating them for this, is there a time frame where you try non-operative physical therapy acetaminophen or non-steroidals prior to surgery, or are there some patients you see and say, okay, we're just going to do surgery? We pretty much uniformly try some sort of non-operative treatments uh, for the patients. You know, it, it really depends on how much it's affecting their daily activities and their lifestyle, but in general, we try non-surgical uh, treatments first, and those basically consist of activity modifications. We like people to avoid high-impact activities such as running and jumping or jogging-type activities when they have an arthritic lower extremity. Um, diet is, plays a big role. Obesity plays a big role. And six times, your, six times your body weight goes through your hip and knee joint with every step you take. And if you lose 10 pounds, your hip or knee feels like it lost 60 pounds and really can make an exponential difference uh, in your pain. From there, we do often try physical therapy. and. Part of the arthritic process is weakening of the muscles around the person's joint. And physical therapy can help strengthen the muscles around the joint. They can help stretch the tight muscles around the joint. Sometimes can help with range of motion, all of which can help with pain relief. And the other thing, they can do different modalities, such as ultrasound or iontophoresis, which can help some of the painful joints uh, in addition. So therapy is awfully beneficial. I usually start out with, you know, medications, physical therapy, activity modifications, diet. If that doesn't help, then we talk about uh, different injections uh, that we can try. On injections, the, uh, the first let's talk about is corticosteroid injection. Is there too many of those uh, to give onto a particular patient? Like, is there a number that, okay, we're just going to give this many and not give any more? So the, when we talk about corticosteroids, not everybody knows what corticosteroids are. The simple term, they're, they're cortisone shots. And my thought, and it's pretty universal, I think, that a person can have three cortisone shots per joint per year. And that can sometimes go on for a long time. So I kind of tell patients if they get more than four months pain relief from their cortisone shot, I think they ought to just keep doing it. 
Okay, that's good advice. What about the cartilage substitutes? Those were popular a couple of years ago. Are those still effective? So the, the other type of injection is called visco-supplementation, and uh, there's a bunch of different brands for the same thing. That's not an anti-inflammatory. What it is is sort of a joint lubrication to bring a cushion or a lubrication in the, in the knee joint where that's being eroded away from the arthritis. It's only FDA approved in the knee, so it's not approved in the shoulder or the hip. The studies on it uh, really are pretty good, and they basically tell us when a person has early to moderate arthritis, they work pretty well. Moderate to severe arthritis, less well so. When it's bone-on-bone, it really doesn't play a role. Now, we do occasionally try it on bone-on-bone arthritis. If a person's too sick to have surgery or has some other reason they can't have an operation, occasionally we'll try visco-supplementation in the knee joint, but not very often for bone-on-bone arthritis. And those are made from, like, rooster combs or something like that, right? Rooster combs, chicken combs. What about shark cartilage? That's one that uh, falls in and out of favor. Yeah, there's no real evidence that anything like that uh, helps uh, whatsoever. There there is some reasonable evidence that glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate uh, helps, and that's a reasonable thing to try. You have to take the correct number of milligrams per day. In general, you have to take it for three months to know whether or not it's going to help. If you think it's helping after three months, you keep taking it. If after three months you don't think it helped, you gave it the old college trial. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good advice. I always tell patients, don't mortgage the house to pay for these supplements. You know, try them. If they work, great. If not, get rid of them. Yeah, I think that's good advice. What, what is the most common occupation that you see uh, that has affliction of the shoulder? Well, that's a, that's a good question. A lot of people uh, that have problems with their shoulder have heavy overhead use or over-the-shoulder use uh, of their arms and are you know, doing a lot of heavy lifting, especially above the level of their shoulders, tend to have problems with their shoulders. Okay. I think patients underestimate, this is my non-orthopedic opinion, they underestimate how big a shoulder surgery is. They think it's, you, you walk with your arms, you know, I mean, Put your arm in a sling and try to walk or put your leg in a cast and try to walk and you'll find that you walk with your arms. And I think people underestimate the recovery time on shoulder surgery. They think it's a small surgery because it's just their shoulder and it's not, is it? Well, there's a wide, wide range of shoulder operations, anywhere from a young person's sports injuries such as a labral tear, uh, rotator cuff problems all the way through the gamut of arthritis. And, and there are no short recoveries from no, uh, shoulder no. surgery, that's for sure. Well, I know your specialty is total joint arthroplasty, uh, that is placing artificial joints into the hip and knee. But what got you interested in that? You've kind of developed the reputation for being the go-to guy for that. Uh, what, what sparked your interest to lean towards that uh, subspecialization in orthopedics? Well, when I was going through medical school at the University of Iowa, we all rotated on different medical services and during my orthopedic service, I rotated with a, a physician named uh, Charles Clark, who was a very, very well-known arthroplasty surgeon, did, did a lot of hip and knee replacements, not as many shoulder replacements. But when I was rotating on his service, we saw patients that literally came into his office preoperatively in wheelchairs, and a month, six weeks later, were walking back in, giving him hugs and kisses, telling him how they haven't felt so good in so many years how they can finally walk without pain. And it was a very gratifying thing to see these patients and how grateful they were to Dr. Clark. And after that, I decided that's what I wanted to do. What are the, the prosthesis, the, the, the implant? What is it made of? 
So when a person talks about an arthroplasty, in very general terms, all we are is resurfacing the arthritic joint. So we don't, some people say, well, you're removing the end of my thigh bone, the top of my shin bone, taking my whole knee out and putting a whole new knee back in. We're not doing that. Basically, we resurface the ends of the bone with metal in general, and then there's usually a plastic bearing surface between the two metal parts. That varies a little bit, but that's a good generalization for any arthroplasty of the shoulder, hip, or knee. Do those particular uh, implants, do they wear out? They do. So there's two ways that artificial joints wear out. Either the metal can come loose from the bone or the plastic bearing surface can wear. It's most common that the plastic bearing surface will wear. So we like to follow patients every two or three years the rest of our lives with x-rays basically to check plastic wear because sometimes we can tell that by x-ray before it causes you symptoms and then the fix is a lot easier. We can just change the plastic. But nowadays, these things are lost in a very, very long time. And right now, our long-term study is on hip replacements. We're a 30-year study that said 80% of them are in and functioning at 30 years, 90% at 20 years. Our knee replacement studies are basically 20-year studies saying that 93 to 95% will last longer than 20 years. We just don't have studies long than that to tell us how much longer they last. We don't have a lot of great long-term studies on shoulder replacements like that yet because they're a little newer and they're they're not as common. Hip and knee replacements are vastly more common than shoulder replacements simply because they're weight-bearing joints um, in there. But we are getting very good long-term results with our shoulder replacements now. Now, I I know you've you've worked very hard and you've assembled a team to do knee arthroplasty, and I think hip is coming. I I don't want to spoil the, uh, be the spoiler on that, but uh, you've been doing these at the surgery center. Uh, and these patients are going home that day. Tell us about that. Well, that's a, that's a great question. And actually, uh, Dr. Arnold, we're doing an even number of hip and knee replacements. Really? Okay. Right, All right now. And fortunate that we have a great service over there. The team over there is very good. We started this program uh, coming up on three years ago. Not, not quite, but coming up on three years ago. And this uh, Tuesday, in fact, tomorrow will be our 200th uh, outpatient total joint Congratulations. over there. It's really a big milestone. It's it's been a, really a game changer for a young, uh, healthy, active people. And for people that are, are well-motivated, they're young and they're healthy, they really don't want to be in hospitals uh, anymore. And it's, it's really understandable. They like the convenience of going into a smaller facility, getting their operation, going home, sleeping in their own bed, eating their own food. And they like to you know, progress a lot quicker than uh, you know, older folks, and physically they can and they want to get back to work. They, most of them all have occupations where they, you know, they don't want to take time off from work, and it's really worked out great. So people get to go home the same day, and the, the way it works is we operate at the surgery center Cedar Rapids in the morning. The nurses get the patients up walking in the recovery room, and they get wheeled across the skywalk to PCI where they have an X-ray and a hemoglobin test, and then they see the formal physical therapy over there that day where they actually formally walk them. They have stairs built in their physical therapy department where they're walking up and down stairs. They teach them exercise to do, and then they get to go home. That's fantastic. You know, I think it really demonstrates the motivation of a patient and the partnership that a surgeon has with a patient to be successful and also demonstrates that team aspect with your therapist and nurses to uh, get them up moving right away. 
Well, it really took a you know a big change in philosophy. Yeah, uh, it's a you know it's something that's been going on in the United States for probably five years, and and we like I said we started about it three years ago. And you you went off if I remember often in Indianapolis. We did. We, yeah. I went to I have a uh, friend there that was doing it for about a year before uh, we went there. We went and uh, some an anesthesiologist, some of the uh, members from the surgery center, and some of the nursing members and staff members all went with us there, and we looked at their program. It really took a coordinated effort through nursing, administration, therapy, x-ray department, lab to get everything arranged, and it took us a little while. But now it's really working fabulous. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good outcomes, from what I've been told, and a lower cost. Is there any other surgery center in eastern Iowa doing this? Well, we just uh, got a notice that uh, Steinler in Iowa City was, is just going to start their program okay. uh, in there, but I'm not aware of anybody else okay. uh, in there. What is the biggest thing you've seen change, whether it's hip or knee replacement, or just orthopedics in general in your career? I think really the, the biggest thing, people ask about implants and how they're lasting, if they're lasting longer, and I think our our implants have been very good for a long time. Um, some of the plastics have improved, but the, the metal parts really haven't changed a whole lot. I think that really the biggest thing that's changed in the last five to eight years is our perioperative pain management. We used to give everybody IV pain medication, what was, was called the PCA or patient-controlled anesthesia, and everybody had IV narcotics after surgery, and those narcotics have a lot of complications. Uh, in there. And we've learned over the last several years there are multiple different pain receptors. Uh, there are other that help pain or help manage pain other than narcotic pain receptors. There's nerve-related receptors, there's Tylenol receptors, there's a multitude of different things. So now we do something called multimodal pain management where we do give different types of medication to hit different receptors for pain to help minimize the use of narcotics. And it really makes a big difference uh, with a multitude of things. Nausea used to be a huge problem after surgery. It really doesn't exist anymore. Urinary retention after surgery used to be a very big problem, which basically doesn't exist anymore either. Another really big thing in medication that's helped us a lot is this trans-ischemic acid, or TXA. That's a medication we give everybody nowadays to help minimize perioperative blood loss. And 10 years ago, our blood transfusion rate was between 25 and 30% after a hip and knee replacement. Now it's probably less than 2% of the time, which really makes a big difference. And, you know, blood transfusions, we found out in the past, really increase your risk for infections around Absolutely. the time of surgery. It's a liquid organ transplant, and, and, and you, sometimes we minimize that. It really is, and it's very detrimental for elective orthopedic surgery, and avoiding that's a big, big deal. Uh, and, there, and so we've pretty much eliminated that nowadays, and I think those two things are really the biggest changers. And when we go back to our perioperative pain management, the way we used to do pain management, there's no way we could do outpatient surgery. It, it would be impossible. Right. And because everything is oral nowadays, really inpatient or outpatient, we're able to, with these, you know, correct patient, allow them to go home on the same day because every medication they get is oral now. And I, I have the luxury of the inside baseball now to know that you and your colleagues started that push to uh, simplify the treatment plan and uh, optimize it prior to the opioid epidemic that just happened to come along because I, I know you're working hard on that 
before the opioid epidemic hit, which is a reflection of, again, being first in the field to move forward. Yeah, the, what's the average length of stay for the people that do have to be in the hospital? We're actually just uh, over one day now, about 1.7 days uh, for people staying in the hospital nowadays, which is a dramatic change from when I started 21 years ago. People were in the hospital for a minimum of a week uh, when I first started. Right before I came to town, all hip replacements were put in traction afterwards for several days. Now we get everybody walking the same day. It's very, very important for the person's well-being. They get up walking the day of surgery. And so our physical therapists have been very good uh, here at the hospital about getting patients up and out of bed and walking the day of surgery, which really assists them in being able to go home most of the time the next day. Yeah, I think that's I I think that's just uh, amazing how we've evolved to know that mobility is better than immobility, just in medicine in general. Well, you're exactly right. When a person's in bed for a long time, they have a significant increased risk for blood clots and pneumonias, which are a terrible thing in orthopedic surgery. Uh, and there and just being able to get a person up walking really is a game changer. That simple task of walking yeah. the day of surgery is a game changer for that problem. Well, I, I mean, the treatment plan for a heart attack is to be bed rest for 30 days. And, you know, that would be insane to suggest that. Yeah, now. That's yeah. changed a lot. Well, this is really good information. I'm glad you took time to come over and talk about this. Again, this is Dr. Jeffrey Nassif, orthopedic surgeon with Physicians Clinic of Iowa. For more information, visit at unitypoint.org. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for our Live Well Talk On podcast, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unitypoint.org. And we encourage you to tell your family, friends, neighbors about our podcast. Until next time, be well.